So if you have your notes there, you want to get those out, let me have this one too just to make sure I'm, I kind of stay on track. Um, there's just some places there for you to, to write a few things down. I'm actually going to cover this whole chapter, so don't get too scared. There are 41 verses. Uh, and like Susan was sharing with our children, this is that story where, yes, Yeshua heals a man born blind. Uh, and that's usually the, the main part of the story that we uh, hear about and everything, which is cool. Um, but there are a number of fascinating things in this story. After all, we're talking about the scriptures, right? And uh, we're talking about Yeshua. And so <clears throat> let's just march through here uh, and pray that the Holy Spirit will uh, help us to discern right from wrong. Amen. So uh, starting with verse 1, and I've got it here for you again in the Scriptures version. And uh, we'll just cover these first three verses to start with. It says, And passing by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his taught ones asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be more blind? Yeshua answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of Elohim might be made manifest. Let me go ahead and read this next verse just for, one, uh, for clarity. And in verse 4 it says, It is necessary, you might want to underline that in your notes there, or if you like to highlight in your Bible, especially if it's digital, it's easy, to highlight that word there, necessary. It's necessary. He goes, It is necessary for me to work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one is able to work. So here we have this story where um, Yeshua's walking there and they pass by this man. He's begging. He's a, uh, they're blind from birth. And his disciples ask him this question. Uh, we'll see here in a little bit when the Pharisees are questioning him and saying he was born steeped in sin. Uh, but the, the disciples ask Yeshua this honest question. <clears throat> they say, Rabbi, was this man born blind because of his sin or the sin of his parents? Here's what I want you to understand. You need to get into the mindset of this first century, these first century Jewish people. This is an honest question they're asking. Yeshua, he also doesn't chide them over it. He just answers, neither one. This man was born this way that the works of God might be made manifest. And here's what I want you to pick up on. It was already, or it, it, by this time in their history, this mindset was normal. That if you were born with a deformity, or if troubles came your way, it was because of sin. You, you messed up and God's judging you. Um, <clears throat> folks, that is not always the case. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. What I am saying is that that's, you can't judge somebody based on the circumstances that they're going through. Oh, that's a sinner. Or somebody that was born a certain way or whatever. Uh, any kind of uh, deformity of any kind or lack thereof um, or look down on them or, or whatever. Uh, people are the way they are a lot of times and it's just genetics. Somebody that's extremely overweight, you know, sometimes we look and say, man, you know, they just need to get their act together. Well, what if they have thyroid problems? 
Uh, one thing you also don't know is what kind of medications are they on that's puffing them up too? I mean, the list goes on and on. And don't we judge by appearance so often, right? They were doing this, judging by appearance. And this is a cool story. What I want you to start to pick up on as we march through this, this whole thing is about who truly is blind. In this story, who really is blind? And what we're going to see here from this man, it's amazing. This story, it really is cool. And you know what? Yeshua is not the major character, if you will, in this story. It's this blind beggar. Um, so um, so the, the comparison that we're going to see throughout this whole story is who, the, who are the people here that are truly blind? Um, and it's definitely not the physically blind man. But I want you to see something else here. In verse 4, he says, It is necessary for me to work the works of him who sent me while it's day because night's coming. You have to keep in mind, this is a time when they didn't have electricity like we have now. When the sun went down, you quit working. You know, you weren't out plowing the field by candlelight. You weren't out, you know, picking your crops, you know, by candlelight. Uh, When the sun went down, you were in the house. Um, And so what Yeshua is saying here is that you need, the work needs to be done and done while I'm here uh, so that everything will happen properly because he also is about to leave. And he says, it's necessary for me to work the works of him who sent me. And he just got through saying that this man was born this way, that the works of the father, the works of God would be made manifest. And then he goes, and it is necessary for me to work the works of him who sent me. So he's making this connection here that this is why we're here. This was planned before time started. And Yeshua is saying, I'm here and it's necessary for me to do everything that the father's told me because we're about to just reveal who's really blind. That's what's about to happen. So picking up in verse five, he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he says, and having, it says, having said this, Yeshua does something absolutely amazing. He spit on the ground and he made mud, made clay with the saliva and he applied the clay to the blind man. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool, I'm sorry, of Siloa or Siloam, um, which means sent. So he went and washed and then he came out seeing. So here's what I want you to see here. It says, having said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay or mud. I'm good friends with a guy that was a youth minister for a long time, and he heads up this ministry. He's now retired, actually, called All-Star Ministries. They train uh, high school students and and even mainly college students to go out on long-term, if you will, uh, missionary work. They'll go overseas for two, three months at a time, um, and they, they do a lot of evangelistic work. And he he told me that one time he was working as a youth minister and he was teaching on this passage and he took his youth out uh, behind the church and he said, I want you guys to make mud with spit. Like a Wednesday night Bible study. And he said, you have to stop and think about it. You're taking dirt, put it in your hand or however you're going to do it and you start spitting in it. He said, where does that go? He said, kids, all of a sudden, they were just bawling 
they had spit and mud all over their faces and stuff where they're trying to make clay or mud out of spit and dirt. And he said, yeah, he said, if you're going to be involved with God and what God's doing, it's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. You got to be willing to get spittle mud on you to see the works of God. And as I was studying for this, I remembered him telling me that story and just imagined those teenagers turning around with dirt and spit and stuff on their faces and they were just crying. He said they were just, they turned into a muddy mess. He said, of course, all the parents, this was at a First Baptist Church, all the parents were asking me, you know, what in the world were you doing with these 45 kids out back? And, you know, they come in looking like they've been making mud pies, which they had been. And he said, I was teaching them how to do ministry. Uh, But there's something else very special about this. He spit on the ground and made mud. Does that ring a bell? It should. Uh, Genesis 2, 7. And Yahovah Elohim formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Watch this. Colossians 1, 16. Because in him, Yeshua, were created all that are in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulerships or principalities or authorities, all have been created through him and for him. So who was the actual acting agent at creation? Yeshua was. The man was born blind. Right here, Yeshua is making a point, and it's going to come back up here in a minute when we get closer to the end. He's making a point. Only God can create something out of nothing. And this miracle is a messianic miracle. As Susan was sharing with our kids, he didn't become blind because of an illness or an injury or anything else or Something happened just physically, you know, when he was young or whatever. He was born blind, blind, and just could not see. And among the rabbis, they understood that if someone could do this, he had to be from God himself. It actually had to be the Messiah, watch this, God in the flesh. We'll get to that in a second. That's what they were already believing and teaching. It was already in their mindset that when the Messiah came, it would be God in the flesh. And he would do these kinds of miracles that only God could do, like causing one that was deaf and mute to speak and see and hear. Because they would say, you couldn't do any kind of incantation or anything else or even speak the name of God and a demon respond to the name of God if the guy can't even hear or speak. And if he can't speak, he can't find out the demon's name, all that kind of stuff and do any kind of this spiritual stuff uh, to cast out a demon. So like if those kinds of miracles are things that rabbis, religious people can't duplicate. So it has to be a messianic miracle, and that's what this one was, and that's why we're told in this story that the 
the detail that this man was born this way. So Yeshua spits on the ground and makes the mud and he tells him to go and wash in the pill, the, I keep saying pill, the pool of Siloam or Siloah, which is the way it is there in the Hebrew. Uh, and, the, and that means sent. So he sends the one to go to the pool, which means sent. And who is sending him? The one who was sent. If you remember in the last chapter, when we talked about the, the man at the pool of Bethesda, it couldn't get in the pool because supposedly the angel would stir it, which we know that was just pagan beliefs, basically. Uh, and in that story, he didn't have the man wash in the pool. But this pool of Siloa uh, was used by the Jewish people in, in their uh, ritualistic ceremonial stuff, like in getting ready to go into the temple and other things. And so he tells him, I want you to go there and wash. Yes, I think to be, like Susan was saying, I'm sitting here, I, was, I almost said, we're done. You did a great job tonight, Susan, seriously. Um, that part of this was to be a witness to everybody there on what was happening to make this man the focal point. And what happened to him as one born blind. Uh, and so he goes there and he washes. Now here's what's, what you have to... Also think about it. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of my notes, but that's what happens when you preach extemporaneously. This guy goes and washes, and then he can see. Yeshua's not there. He's never seen anything in his life. And he's a grown man by this time. And now he can see. Have you seen those videos and stuff where people that are colorblind get those special glasses where they can then see color and grown men and women and just start to weep because they can now see color? And I've seen some of those and it almost brought me to tears. And I'm not colorblind, but you just think of somebody that's my age and never seen color and then given these glasses and you actually see a red shirt and a pink shirt and and be able to tell the difference and how beautiful our world really is. What about somebody that's never seen anything, never seen their parents, never seen the grass, never seen dirt, never seen a blue sky or a cloud, didn't even know what color their own skin was. He does what Yeshua says the mud and stuff starts to come out of his eyes and, he, and things start to form and he can see perfectly. My, my, my. Can you imagine he was dancing around? <laughs> I believe he was, right? Amen. So in verse 8 it says, Therefore the neighbors and those who saw him before that he was blind said, isn't this the guy that was begging? No, it can't be, right? Because they're all going, this, he was born blind. I mean, there's no medication to fix being born blind. Um, now there's like, yeah, I, I think he, he's just like him. He, you know, they all look alike, you know. 
He's one beggar to another beggar. He, he, just, he just looks like him. And he's sitting there going, no, I'm, I'm the guy. I am him. Verse 10, so they said to him, well, then how were your eyes open? And he answered them and said, a man called Yeshua made clay and applied it to my eyes and said to me, go and wash in the pool of Siloam wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. That's all he knows, right? He's just saying, there's a guy named Yeshua. He made mud, put it on my eyes, said, go over here and wash. I washed, now I can see. That's all I know. And so they say, well, where is he? And he goes, I don't know. So it's being laid out for us in great detail for us to understand. He goes over here and washes, and Yeshua is not there. He's by himself, basically. I mean, Yeshua and the disciples aren't there. He was obedient, did what Yeshua said, and then he can see, and he relates the story, and they're like, so then where is he? And he's like, uh, I don't know. How would he point him out? Right? He didn't even know what he looks like. He's like, right. Where is he? What's your name? Right? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to start putting voices with faces now and try to figure this out. Right? And they're saying, so where is he? What a dumb question, right? He's like, I don't know where he is. Are you kidding me? Um, So uh, verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees, the one who once was blind. So John and the Holy Spirit is here being very specific for us to understand who is talking to whom in this story. This is where it starts getting really, really interesting. Verse 14, now it was the Sabbath. He's going to bring that up. Now this is the Sabbath when Yeshua made the clay and opened his eyes. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. And he said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. (laughs) Now he's starting to cut to the chase. Look, he put mud on my eyes. I went and washed and now I can see. Can you imagine the emotions going through this guy? I don't know how he's able to contain himself, even have a conversation. Look at what they, their response is in verse 16. Now, here's where you have to read in context, and we have to slow down and pay attention to the words here. Therefore, some of the Pharisees... Not all, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from Elohim because he does not guard the Sabbath. Now, what did they mean by that when they said he doesn't guard the Sabbath, he doesn't keep the Sabbath? They're saying he's not keeping our Sabbath, our rules, our regulations. It's called halakha, but their rulings on how the Sabbath is supposed to be kept. Um, There's tons of Pharisees out there even today want to tell everybody this is how you do the Sabbath. God didn't tell us a whole lot about how to do the Sabbath. He said, guard it, make it holy. Don't do any normal work on it. Remember God, keep it holy, glorify God through it. Uh, And then we go nuts and extremely judgmental. I'm going to leave that there for now. But they say, this man isn't from God. They're tipping their hand. They're already ticked off and very nervous, right? So what are they saying? This man can't be from God because he doesn't guard the Sabbath. 
Why would they say that? Because they're scared. They're scared. I'm going to go ahead and say it Texas style. They're scared spitless. Because they can't deny that this has happened. They're trying every way they can to put a spin on it like the news does today on everything. They're trying to put a spin on it to get this to stop. They're in damage control, and they're saying, there's no way this guy can be from God. And I'm going to tell you why, because he doesn't keep us at it. <laughs> what they meant is they're, he's breaking their rules. Others said, now, now, now I want you to see this. These are other Pharisees. Others said, how is a man who is a sinner able to do such miracles? They're asking honest questions. They're like, okay, if this guy is a wretched sinner, how's he doing these miracles? That, what you're saying doesn't make sense. Now here's where it says, us. now we're told specifically, and there was a division among them. So well, here's what I want to get to with this. We have a tendency when we read the Gospels, everything we've learned from our time in the church is that, man, you know, those evil, mean, and nasty Pharisees, all of them, and they hated Yeshua and they murdered him. They, well, they at least turned him over to the Romans. You know, we don't like them Pharisees, you know, and we don't like those Sadducees either, you know. They were just bad people. Well, keep in mind, even the apostle Paul was a Pharisee. And here we're told, and we, we looked at this before, where some of the Pharisees were believing in him. And others were believing but not acknowledging it because they were fearful. I get it. Here we're seeing where others were like, they're having an honest conversation or debate among themselves and saying, what you're saying doesn't make sense because he healed a man born blind. That's not... Uh, Witch doctor stuff. According to our own understanding of the scriptures, only the Messiah can do that. So we've got a situation here that we need to answer, and these religious leaders were struggling with it. So it says, and there therefore uh, became a division among them. Let me read you my notes just so I can try to stay on track. We need to keep in mind that uh, all of these Pharisees were not in agreement on Yeshua, it was not all of them that rejected Yeshua and handed him over to be crucified, which is also why later on the trial was at night when he was arrested. And who ends up winning the argument? Or, or it's, it's, so who ends up winning this argument? Those that had the most to lose if Yeshua was in fact the Messiah. And they're the ones that are most angry. Would we today be willing to lose everything to gain a closer walk with the creator of the universe or is that too much to give up? Keep in mind these are religious people that actually do believe they're serving God and they actually do know the Bible and they know their rabbinical teachings even better. But to follow this guy was too much to give up. Just a question do we have things in our lives that are too much to give up to get closer to God? I think that's something that we're answering every day, are we not? So in verse 17, it says, so they said to the blind man, blind one again, 
What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes and he said, well, he's a prophet. However, the Yehudim did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who received his sight. So now they're like, okay, well, this has got to be an imposter. This has got to be a trick or something. It's got to be somebody that just looks like him. This is a sleight of hand thing. Uh, and, uh, they're trying any way they can to get out of this. <clears throat> so in verse 19, they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? <clears throat> How then does he see? Here's your question. You think these guys really didn't know who they were talking to? He was a beggar, had been around there all the time his whole life. That's, how, that's the only way he could get any kind of money or any kind of substance. Um, he couldn't see, meaning therefore he couldn't work. So he didn't have a seeing eye dog and all that kind of stuff. That didn't happen back then. Uh, and the, the main way that he um, would provide for himself was begging, which we're told in the story that he was a beggar and he was there every day and people knew who he was. And so these Pharisees are like, so are you people gonna tell me that this is the guy and he was actually born blind? They know who he is. They've seen him. He's been there. He's been regular. Verse 20, his parents answered him and said, well, <laughs> we know that this is our son. Duh, right? We know that this is our son. He was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He's going to speak concerning himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Yehudim because the Yehudim had already agreed, watch this, that if anyone confessed that he was the Messiah, he should be kicked out of the congregation. So now it's coming out that the real issue was they were already afraid that people were going to claim that he was actually the Messiah. That's the point, and that's why they're so mad and why they're saying he can't be from God because why? He's going against their rules already, and they're like, if he's the Messiah, that means we're done. Isn't that sad? If he's the Messiah, it means freedom. Hallelujah, amen, right? But they're only thinking if he's really the Messiah, we're done. Folks, we do the same kind of stuff still to this day. We've done it before we got here where we now understand about you know, the whole Bible and how it applies and the Torah and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it was just too much for them to give up. So they said, if anyone confesses that he really is the Messiah, what we're going to do is we're going to kick them out of the congregation. You ever heard of somebody getting churched, excommunicated? That's what they're talking about here. But here's what you have to understand. You see, in modern day America, if somebody, quote unquote, gets church, you know, kicked out of the church, what are they going to do? They're going to go down the street and go to some other church. Or maybe they might have enough nerve to change the denomination, right? Because used to, if you went from one church to another church, you'd get a letter of accommodation, basically, uh, that yes, this was a member in good standing. Uh, none of that is done. None of that is done. So <clears throat> I'm saying all this to try to put this in context. For these people, though, when it says kicked out of the congregation or out of their uh, I'll just out of the congregation, out of the synagogue. 
that was more than a, what we think of as a church setting or um, their Bible study group. It was their everything. It was the hub of their community and society. What it meant for this man was we won't do business with you. You're not welcome to come in our group and you know, find out who's hiring, in other words. All that stuff. Um, it meant everything. It meant livelihood. It meant community. It meant uh, fellowship with people. Uh, it wasn't just one congregation or, well, I'll leave here and go to another one. It didn't, that didn't exist. You were either part of that or you went into the temple. Uh, and they're talking about kicking him out of basically their whole fellowship. And now we're talking about here, we're in Jerusalem. This is serious. So for this man, it, it was huge. And so this is why the parents go, you know what, ask him. He's of age. Great parents, right? Isn't that great? Absolutely amazing. You know what a kill D bird is? At least that's what I call them. Uh, they, they lay their eggs in the rocks on the ground all the time. We got a rock driveway. We're 300 feet off the road. Then I got a circle drive. And ever since we've been on that property, those kildees, they're always laying eggs out there. And what's amazing, I actually posted this or whatever. There's one brand new nest. She's got four eggs on it right on the edge of our driveway. They never get run over either. I don't know how that works. And I'm mowing and, I'm, and she's done this now, I don't know how many times already. I go right beside her. And I mean, she just pitching a bloody fit. And I'm like, this little bird would take on me and the lawnmower to protect these four eggs. Unlike many modern women today that butcher theirs for whatever reason. But this little bird would protect those eggs and take on a monster lawnmower that's making more noise and throwing junk everywhere. She doesn't move. Doesn't move. She just starts that yakking. I'm going to come after you. And of course, you know what a killdy bird will do? If you walk up towards it, do you know how they protect their, their nest? Yeah. They'll go walking over. Then they start acting like I got a broke wing. Come chase me. And then you go over there and they go off a little bit more and they just spread them out and they do all this like I'm hurt. It's the funniest looking thing. It's really cool. You know, and you walk over there and they'll keep going to get you away from the nest. It's absolutely amazing. I'm, I'm looking at this little bird. I'm going, this little bird will do, I'm, it's this close. I'm on the lawnmower. It's full. Go I've got the blade going. I'm just sitting there, and she's like, and I'm thinking, this little bird would take on me and this lawnmower, and this guy's parents are going, you know what? He's of age. Ask him. Genius. I'm thinking, this little bird's showing more courage than not only these parents, but a lot of people today in our country. A little bitty bird willing to take on something 500 times its size to protect its own. They wouldn't do it. Um, and so they said, you know, ask him because he's of age, <clears throat> um, because they were afraid of getting kicked out of the congregation. And here's what I want you to see, though, because this is important. So his parent, you have to remember that what is now happening is basically 
a court session. These are legal issues now being dealt with. He's brought before the leaders that have the power to exercise legal decisions against this man and his family that can have incredible ramifications. They Think of them as like judges, if you will, and then attorneys and that kind of stuff, because, and then they're going to make a decision and then that's it. And so they ask a legal question. Is this man your son and was he born blind? And they give a response and the response is specific. Yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he now sees, we don't know. This is important because now this is a legal statement registered now for all of eternity. Basically in a Jewish court of law, basically. Because what's now happening is, if you will, is legal findings. But the real king and the real judge is going to reveal what's really happened, already happened. Let's, get, let's continue on. Verse 23, uh, because of this, his parents said he is of age. Ask him. Verse 24. So for the second time, they called the man who was blind, and they said to him, Give esteem or give glory to Elohim, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> this is amazing. Then he answered them and said, Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and I now, now I see. You guys are going to tell me that he's a sinner. <clears throat> okay, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. But here's what I want you to see. The challenge here, they bring him back in and they issue a statement. It's a challenge. All right, now you give glory to God. This man is a sinner. They're leading the witness. And they're trying to force him to make a statement that agrees with them. And they're putting the words and thoughts in his head. And watch this. And they're leading him by saying, what you next say either will or will not bring glory to God, the creator of the universe. So they're saying, you give glory to God. Now, this man's a sinner. Now, keep in mind, these are religious leaders intimidating the witness in a legal hearing, trying to force him to say something that he doesn't even have a bearing on whether or not their comments are even true. He doesn't know. He doesn't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. He's like, look, this is what happened. This is what he did. Now I see. That's what I'm telling you. Um, so that's what he says in verse 25. Verse 26, they don't give up. And they ask him once more, well, then what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So he said to him, I've already told you. And you did not hear. You have ears to hear, but do not hear. Amazing. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? You want to become one of his taught ones? Now, as we go through here, I want you to keep something in mind. Moments before this, this man was a beggar. Had never seen another person in his whole life. Now he's in front of the most powerful men in his country. 
some of them. And he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know that I was blind and now I see. Well, then what did he do? Oh, so do you want to be his disciples? This guy is showing extreme courage like the bird and unlike his own parents. He is standing up to them. How easy would it have been to say, okay, I guess he's a sinner. Well, and? But he doesn't. He doesn't bow down to that. Why? Well, because a moment ago he was blind and had never seen, and now he's seeing. And that's something you can't take away. You can't even talk your way out of that. They can't convince him of anything other than what he's, <laughs> what's happening to him right this moment. He's like, I'm looking at the temple. I'm looking at what? He's a What? I don't know what your argument is. All I know is I was blind, now I can see. And I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, you want to be his disciple? Maybe that's what it is, right? He doesn't hold back. I just think it's amazing. Um, verse 28, they abused him again. You are his taught one, but we are the taught ones are the disciples of Moses, of Moshe. Lie. Bold-faced lie. You are his taught one. The guy doesn't know who he is. He's never seen him. How could he be one of his disciples? And they know this. They, they just had it confirmed from the parents. This guy was born blind. Oh, you're one of his taught ones, aren't you? But you know what? We're taught of Moses. No, they're not. <clears throat> you know what they're taught? Rabbinical teachings. Very, very good at quoting other people, quoting other people. Horrible at actually living by the actual book. But a lot better at living after books of the book of the book of the books of the book. Um, but not really disciples of Moses. And Jesus has already told them that. If you truly were Abraham's descendants, you'd do the deeds of Abraham. If you truly believed Moses, you'd believe me because Moses taught of me. He wrote of me. Everything that's in the book is written about me. You don't believe in Moses. You believe in yourself. They're just lying. Look at what he says, verse 29. We know that Elohim um, has spoken to Moshe, but this one, we don't even know where he's from. This guy doesn't back down. I love it. This guy has got some chutzpah. I mean, this guy, really, I mean, isn't this great? This guy was a beggar. He was at the bottom of the food chain, folks. He had to beg every day for scraps, handouts, to be able to eat. Now he's staying out, standing up there with these religious leaders, standing toe-to-toe with them. I love it. <laughs> uh, he goes, look, we know that Elohim, God, has spoken to Moses, but this one, we don't know where he's from. And the man sort of adds to him and says, why, isn't that a wonder? Isn't that amazing? I love it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Now, he doesn't stop, and this is where it gets good. And we know that Elohim does not hear sinners, but if anyone fears Elohim and does his desire, he, Elohim, hears him. From of old, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of one born blind. If this one were not from Elohim, he could have done none at all. This is amazing. Why? He was born blind. And I want you to notice what he says. We know. We know that God doesn't hear sinners. How would he know that? This is a, this is a guy that was born blind. Folks, that means that for his whole life, when people were reading, discussing, talking about the scriptures, this guy was paying attention. Amen. He didn't, Sonia and I were talking about this on the way over here, our society and everything. He didn't Google the answer for the test and then forget it. He had no way of study. I don't think Braille had been invented by then. So what did he have to do? He had to pay attention and listen every single time the scriptures were read and talked about, hopefully even by his parents in the home, which is how it was supposed to have been happening. And he says, we know that Elohim does not hear sinners. Now, I want you to understand something. That's not his opinion. That is fact. Proverbs 28.9, you might want to write that down there. Proverbs 28.9, he who turns away his, his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. Why is that even also incredible? That is the only way this man was able to understand the Torah was by putting his ear to it because he couldn't put his eye on it. Can I get a hallelujah, amen, somebody, right? I mean, isn't that cool? This, this, he's quoting something basically or making a statement that they know to be a fact and right out of the Proverbs where it says that even if a man turns his ear away from hearing the Torah, even God himself will not even hear his prayer. What keeps us from learning the scriptures? You know, he had to really pay attention while he was listening to the scriptures read and talked about. What are we doing? I mean, for crying out loud, we can Google it. I've got a powerful computer program. I, I really do. I, I feel like I cheat every week when I'm studying. It just makes it so easy. But there are times when computers will make me nuts. Because, you know, when you type in a search... You've got to use the exact words perfectly, or you know what you get? 
well, that's not in your Bible, Paul. And I'm going, yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. What if I say it this way? What if I say it this way? And I cannot tell you how many times, even though I've got, I don't even know how many thousands of dollars in this program, I go, you know what? Google's going to tell me when I ask the question the wrong way. I do that a lot. And I'll go, okay, well, I had it worded wrong. Great. (laughs) Why can't it just figure out what I'm trying to say like Google does, right? Um, That's what we do. This man had to work and pay attention because what we're seeing here is that this man learned what the Word of God actually said when he couldn't read or write or even see the Scriptures He had to hear it and remember it. And he goes, we know. Now watch this. He's also putting them on the spot. We know. He wasn't saying we know as in everybody else. He's in the room directing his comments to these guys that are questioning him, trying to trap him. And he goes, we know that God does not hear the prayers of sinners. But if anyone fears God and does his desire, we know that he hears them. Wow. And then he goes on. Now he's challenging them on everything that they've even taught rabbinically and what they, the sages believed. And we know that from of old, it has never been heard of anyone open the eyes of somebody born blind. We know that this is something unique and can only be done by God. And I'm standing here in front of you because I'm the one that it happened to and you just had it verified from my parents that, yes, I was born blind. This is no joke, and yes, I'm seeing you, and I don't think he needed reading glasses like I need. I'm positive that his eyesight was at this point 2020. probably even better than that. <clears throat> and then he goes on, he says, if this one were not from God, he couldn't have done anything. Wow, this is absolutely Amazing. This guy is arguing with these Pharisees from the scriptures that Yeshua has to be the Messiah and he's winning. Folks, this guy was a beggar hours before. And now he's going toe to toe with the religious leaders of all of Israel and winning. I think all of us in this room could learn something from this beggar to be a little bit more courageous, to be a little bit more bold about who our God is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's about to do. And we should not be so stinking timid and shy about it. Amen? Now look at what they say in verse 34. And they answered him, man, you were born in your sins. You were completely born in your sins. (laughs) This is the exact opposite of what Yeshua said. Isn't that right, Susan? (laughs) You You were completely born in your sins. And look at this. And are you teaching us? They know what's happening. Man, he schooled them. You were completely born in your sins and you're gonna teach us? And then they cast him out. Folks, they didn't just kick him out of the room. They exercised a legal decision against the man and kicked him out of the congregation, meaning we're kicking you out of our society. 
our religious, our legal ruling is that nobody's even supposed to fellowship with you, period. You are like dead to, to us now. This was a legal decision, and they know what's happened. He taught them. The one who hadn't been taught but learned taught the teachers. And taught them what? What the scriptures actually say. Isn't that amazing? What was the work of God that God needed to do and that Yeshua needed to do the works of the Father? What? What was the work? Was it really healing a man so that he could physically see? Or to point out to the Pharisees, you guys are the ones that are really blind. And I'm going to take a man who was a beggar that I've been teaching his whole life. And watch this. We don't know what his name is. But we sure know what he said. We sure know what happened to him. It's recorded for all of history, for all of eternity. Mm. They kick him out. Now Yeshua comes back into the story. Isn't that cool? When Yeshua heard that they had cast him out, notice that this keeps coming up in this story so that we understand this wasn't that they kicked him out of the room. So Yeshua heard that they cast him out, and when he found him, don't you just love that? You might want to highlight that. So Yeshua sends him to the scent pool. The scent one sends him to the pool of scent <laughs> to wash and be healed, and he was healed. And God did what? Sent him to the wolves in sheep's clothing to teach the teachers. And when the teachers couldn't be taught, they kick him out, and God goes, now I'm going to go find him. How cool is that? So Yeshua goes and he finds him, and look at what he says to him. Hey, how's it going? How'd your meeting go? He doesn't say that, does he? Did everybody believe what you had to say? He doesn't care about all that stuff, right? Because... the the point of that had already been made. He goes to the guy individually and he says, do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of Elohim? Folks, that's also important. <clears throat> in this version, it says Son of Elohim. Some of them will say Son of God. Others might even say Son of Man or Son of Adam. Son of Man was Yeshua's favorite uh, term to uh, talk about himself. We've talked about this, how that, that was a major theme in the book of Daniel, other places. Uh, this son of man, son of Adam, one like the son of man. They knew that this was, quote unquote, the Messiah to come, the one that would be God in the flesh. Here's what I want you to understand. So he asked him this question. This guy doesn't go, well, what, uh, what do you mean? Right? He doesn't. Why? Because they already understood this. I'm bringing this out for a point so you can understand something because we trip up on this. He said, do you believe in the son of Elohim? Let me, uh, let me read you my notes. There's two things in here I want you to notice. This is the first time that this blind man actually sees Yeshua. It's the first time he actually sees him. Yeshua doesn't go, hey, here I am. You might not know this. <laughs> he sees him and he goes, do you believe in the Son of God? Um, 
when he went to, to the pool to wash off the mud and receive his sight, Yeshua wasn't there with him. Number two, the idea or the concept of the Messiah being connected to the phrase son of Elohim or son of man was already well established in Jewish thought and teachings. That's a fact, folks. When Yeshua asked the man if he believed in the son of Elohim, some manuscripts read son of Adam, he was asking him if he believed in the Messiah. Once he realizes that Yeshua is the Messiah and the one who healed him, he instantly worships him. Now, all of this needs to be connected. I'm going to read you this and we'll go back to the passage. He instantly worships him. Worship was only allowed for Elohim alone. You have to keep that in mind. This is the guy that just schooled the teachers. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? Yes. He tells him, I'm him. He bows and he worships him. This little act helps us realize that this concept, watch this, that this concept of the Messiah, Son of Man, being Elohim in the flesh, was already well within Jewish thought at the time of Yeshua. Worshiping Yeshua as God in the flesh is not a New Testament Christian invention. This idea of the Messiah coming and being God in the flesh was already well-trenched in Jewish thought. It was, yes, something that they did argue about, but there are many, many reports and, and documents to back up the fact that the sages already believed and understood that this son of man back in Daniel is at the throne of God and God gives him a throne and on and on and on and he comes in the clouds, all these things, and he's got to be God and he has God in him and he's He's always been, and yet what we're told today is, you know, that uh, deity stuff mixing with humanity, that's a New Testament Christian thought. It's not. This was already well established, and this is why when he asked this Jewish man that was born blind but paid attention to what the Scriptures actually said because why God was already working all this out from the very beginning that he's going to use this man to school the schoolers. <laughs> he's going to take them to school. He's going to come back. He understands all these things. Yeshua says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He goes, I'll tell you what, you tell me who he is and I will. Isn't that cool? He answers him in verse 36, who is he, Master, that I might believe in him? Yeshua said, you have both seen him and it is he who is, who is with you. I'm, I'm him. And he said, Master, I believe, and he bowed before him. Yeshua doesn't stop him. Nobody even questions him. None of the disciples, get up, get up, man, you're not supposed to be doing that. There's a crowd around him, and you're going to see this now. Yeshua then said, for judgment I have come into this world that those not seeing might see and those seeing might become blind. And those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words. So the Pharisees and many of them that had already cast him out followed him. Why? Because they're still trying to trap Jesus. They're still trying to trap Yeshua and they want to work this thing out. They didn't just kick him out and say, hey, you know, go do your thing. They're like, let's, let's keep on, man. We got to fight this. We got to stop this from continuing. They're there with him. And look at what they say. So are we blind? Why would they say that? Because they understood what Yeshua was really saying. 
It's not physical blindness here that's being dealt with. It is spiritual, intellectual, emotional blindness. Blindness to the truth of God and his word. And people that are not willing to bow to the, to the, to the scriptures and the God of the scriptures in lieu of their religion. These are all religious people. And they won't give it up. They understood that this blindness meant understanding and are rightly dealing with the scriptures and relating it to everyday life instead of their junk. This whole story has been the comparison between real, real blindness and sight. The man born blind was in fact the one who, had, who was always able to see because he paid attention to the scriptures and the eudioi, those are the religious leaders, were actually the ones who were blind from birth. This man could have sided with the religious powers and kept his place in the community with higher regard and yet risked it all to stay true to the scriptures. When he did this, he had no proof. Look at this. When he did this, I was thinking about this when I was writing this down. When this man took this stand, we can learn a lot from this beggar. When he did this, he had no proof he would ever see Yeshua or the Messiah. He had no proof he would ever see Yeshua or even know if he was the Messiah or not the Messiah or see the Messiah. But he what? He stood on the, on, his, on the ground of what the Scriptures say. Whatever it brought him, he stood on the Scriptures. What he did know was what the Scriptures actually said over and against what the Pharisee said it said. For this commitment, he was cast out of the community but he entered into the kingdom of God. Absolutely powerful. So they go, well, are we blind? And Yeshua goes, well, he basically says, you said it. Yeshua said to them, well, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin. But now that you say that we see, therefore your sin, it's remaining on you. You know the scriptures, or you think you do, and you say you live by them, and you say you're actually Moses' disciple. Well, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to be the actual words of Moses that are going to nail you to the ground. It's going to be the very scriptures themselves that are going to say, you are nothing but a liar and a wolf in sheep's clothing eating at my flock. And I will hold you accountable for it. Folks, this is why... <clears throat> When God called me to pastor and preach and teach, and I literally came kicking and screaming, because in James it says, do not let many of you desire to be a teacher, because with that will come a greater judgment. And I take handling the Word of God seriously. Because I will not answer to you for it. I will answer to the King of Kings. I will answer to the creator of this universe that's about to come back into this physical realm and settle accounts. And that pre-trib rapture thing ain't going to happen. 
He's going to yank us out into the wilderness like he did the first exodus. And any rebels among us, he's going to purge them out from among us. He will settle accounts. And he will prove what's really in our hearts. It's not going to matter what you say you believe. Our actions are going to prove what's really in our hearts. And here's a man, watch this. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the only way, watch this, the only way a beggar could beg, he had to be granted the right to wear beggar's clothes. His beggar's clothes were his uniform, basically, that the Pharisees would say, this man legally can beg for money. This man is standing in front of these guys in all of their glory in his beggar's clothes, pointing out to them, this is what the scripture says. And if you take away my income and I die, so be it. I will not back off of what the scriptures say. Wow. And moments later, God goes, I'm going to go find that guy. Yeshua, God in the flesh says, I'm going to go find him. And one of the few times when he says, do you believe in the son of man? Tell me who he is. And Yeshua goes, you're looking at him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I'm the son of Adam. I'm him. And the man knew what to do. He worshiped him. Because he knew his Bible. He knew the scriptures. Even his blindness didn't keep him from understanding what the Bible really said. And how many of us have good eyes to see, but we still can't figure out what the scriptures say because we keep reading it with all that other junk in our head instead of what it simply says. Folks, it just says what it says what it says. Yeshua is the son of God that came and died on the cross for our sins. Give us the opportunity to restore that relationship so that we can be in his kingdom. And watch this, so that you could be his ambassador on this earth with all authority and power and might and scared of no man, no demon, no principality, no power, no Nephilim, no watcher, not the devil himself, not even the president of this country or Putin or anybody else. Nobody can stand against the very power of God that is in you and on you. And now that you have a better understanding of what the scriptures actually say and that our lifestyle is a statement of allegiance to the king of kings, you literally can walk in front of a king and say, what you got, dude? Here I am with God Almighty. Not intimidated or scared of anything or anybody. And you know what? Even though you take this life, I'll deny, I will not deny my king. Amen. And if you take this life, that means that my king wanted that, so it'll teach you something to give you one more chance to repent. And folks, I'm telling you, the world and the devil does not know how to handle that because it is the very power of God.
when Peter gave his confession and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you will be called Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And what he was, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the confession that Yeshua is the very son of God, the son of Adam, the son of man, the one that came God in the flesh to die on the cross, to bring redemption. He said, that is what I'm going to build my church on. That confession, because he said, it is necessary that I do the works of the one who sent me. Why? Because he is the prophet that was prophesied to come. And God himself said, I'm going to send you a prophet like you, Moses, and I'm going to put my words in him. And the person that does not hear and listen and and obey his words, he goes, I myself will require it of that individual. He is the prophet, the Messiah, the creator of the universe that went, let me do it again. I did this once with Adam. I'm going to do it again with you because I'm going to try to show them they're not in charge. I am. I even let a man be born blind. It wasn't because I hated him. He actually gave him better eyes than those that could see. Folks, that's the God we serve. And now watch this. I'm going to close with this. A lot of us here and anybody maybe that might listen to this, we fumble through our lives thinking, well, you know, I'm just a poor beggar. I mean, what could God do with me? I'm just, I'm, I don't know anybody. I'm in this little hole. I, you know, do, I got my little job. I got my 10 people I hang out with. I mean, what could God do with me? Folks, if God can take a guy that's a beggar that doesn't even know what people look like and put that man in front of the religious leaders of the day to teach an incredible lesson. Folks, he can do whatever he wants to and what what he's going to do, even with you or me. There's not a person in this room, I don't care if you're 7 or 77, there's not a person in this room that God cannot or will not use if we'll just surrender our lives over to him and say, use me. And he will. Folks, that's some great news, isn't it? Amen. I used to think, man, if God can use Paul, surely he can use me, right? Paul was a murderer and all that other stuff, you know, and God meets him. Saul changes his name to Paul. But now I'm thinking, man, if God can use a beggar, surely he can use me. And watch this. We don't know anything else about the guy. What if that is the only thing he was required to do on this earth? He had one task, was going to last a couple of hours and be recorded for all of eternity and an incredible truth that the Messiah himself was going to use. And he was obedient in that one task and to go home and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. A blind beggar. And if God can use a blind beggar, surely he can do something with this old carpenter. Sheep herder, preacher, whatnot. He can use you. And I don't ever want you to think, yeah, but I'm too old, I'm too feeble, whatever. Did you know that most of the time when God used people in the Bible, he used old people? You know, because when you're young, you usually got more zeal than you got brains. 
And you definitely got more hormones than you got brains. And uh, we make all kinds of dumb mistakes when we're younger. And then when you get older, you're like, man, I've got all these do-overs I really wish I could do. Uh, and I wish, I, I wouldn't mind being 20 again if I could be 20 with what I know now, you know. Uh, and, well, you know, how many things would I do different and blah, 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 and all that other stuff. And I think that's why God goes, well, you know what? You're just, now you're in the right position where I can do something with you. So never think that you're too old or too young or whatever. Turn your life over to him and he, he can use you. Amen. He wants to. He loves you. He loves you.